Welcome everybody to Friday night at Insight Santa Cruz. Yes, Insight Santa Cruz. I think I might have almost said Salinas Valley State. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're glad you're here. Um, I'm just curious if there's anybody here who has any had any contact with work in prisons or jails. You could raise your hand if you have. Yeah, you can look around. Yeah, and um, and of course we we've had some experience. That's what we're here to talk to you about. And the name of this was. Um, do you have the correct wording? It's something like behind locked doors, Dharma practice with the men in blue. And the question is, why would anybody want to spend a day a week in a maximum security prison working with inmates? And so that's we're here to kind of answer that question. And some of you who've been in prisons or jails may have that answer already. I just heard someone I was talking to saying that he thought it was a blessing. So you'll see if you agree with that, I guess, by the time we're done. So um, we're just going to do a very brief introduction, and then we're going to have a sit for about a half hour. And then we will be talking a little bit about the program and reading you the words from the men themselves about the program. There'll be time for questions and answers. And uh, so we'll see what happens. Maybe you want to, is there anybody who's here for the first time at the center? Do you want to, Bruce, maybe tell oh, them where everything yeah, is? Yeah. Um, if you are here for the first time, there are pillows and blankets and little uh, cushions. If you feel like you'd be more comfortable um, using those, please do. There's bathrooms through two sets of doors here, and then to the right, there's two bathrooms, both for everybody. Um, we do have a library that's in the far room after you go through the second door and you, you go straight. It's a library to the right which isn't open tonight, but it, it is open when, and whenever there's programming going on here. Um, and I think that's all you probably need to know. Just that there are more cushions, supports, blankets over in that part of the room if you want to wrap up or put anything behind you. So please feel free to stand up and go get it or make yourself comfortable. Um, so would you like to start just telling your name and how long you've been coming in? I'm Nancy, Nancy Hart, and it will be three years this summer that I've been going to Salinas Valley. And my name is Jill Hyman, and it will be 18 years in May. Mm -hmm. uh, my name is Ayla, and it will have been three years as of February for me. And I'm Bruce Hyman, and I've been going in since January 2001, so just over 17 years. 2002, excuse me, just over 17 years. And I'm Vicki Matson, and I've been going in for four and a half years. So, um, just we're going to, I'm going to uh, guide you into prison right now. So, just, and then we're going to have. Uh, about a half hour sit. Can I see the clock? Thank you. That's fine. So sit comfortably, and you're welcome to stand at any time. 
Uh, don't feel that you're a prisoner of your chair. Um, and if you're not comfortable uh, sitting, you're also welcome to lie down. There are cushions back there. You can set up your own. The idea is definitely to be comfortable. So we'll wait for a few minutes. Welcome. We're just about to start a sit. You're not too late. You're just on time. So let's go down to prison together. We'll get in our car. We're going to make our way to 101. We're going to drive down Highway 1. We're going to get off at Salinas Road. And we're going to turn on Hall Road and take it all the way to San Miguel Canyon. And San Miguel Canyon will take us to Highway 101. We're going to drive south. And it's going to take us from Santa Cruz, oh, about an hour. That is, if we don't pick up anyone, which we always do in our group, we drive together. So we drive down Highway 1 until we get past Gonzales to a small sign that says Correctional Institution. It doesn't say anything more than that. We get off and there are two prisons right off Highway 101. One of them is called Correctional Training Facility, which was the old Soledad. And the other is Salinas Valley State Prison, which is the newer prison, a maximum security prison. So we look for a while for a parking place, which is an exercise in and of itself, and get out, get our equipment together, our fanny packs with our ID and our chits that allow us to take out alarms and keys. And we walk to the door, but before we go in, we pause and we look outside at this beautiful Salinas Valley with mountains, the Santa Lucia Mountains on one side and the mountains near, I'm blanking, on the other side. Um, just a beautiful valley, a beautiful view out, which I always wonder if the men inside ever really can get a good view of. So we take this moment to have a practice, a one-minute practice, bringing our intention forth for what we might want to do or experience or present or receive during that day. We walk in through the doors, we check in at the business office where our community resource manager is and say hello and get our lists and split up and go to the different yards that we're holding programs. We go through a gate where we sign in show our IDs. They give us our, quote, brown cards, which allow us to go in. 
go through a double set of doors, of gated electric doors, and then go to the different yards. There are four yards, each one housing under a thousand men. We walk for some distance, go through another set of security doors. This is where we get our alarm, our case, and our keys for the chapel. And then we walk again through another outdoor walkway, finally reaching the chapel. That's where we go. Sometimes we visit the men in their cells, not in their cells, outside the cell door. So I want to describe what that's like, because that's where we're going to meditate tonight. We walk through the locked front of the building where they're housed. We have to show our ID again, check in, and walk into a building that's full of steel-fronted cells with a narrow glass window looking out into the central part. And there's also a narrow glass window that looks outside. We'll walk up the stairs and to one of these cells, look inside, and notice how small it is for two adult men to be living there. Nine feet by 12 feet, two steel bunk platforms, a long steel shelf to put belongings on, some smaller steel shelves, a toilet and a sink. That's it. A thin mattress. The length of the bunk is not long enough for tall men and the mattress is not very comfortable. This is where we live. And today, tonight, this is where we'll try doing our practice. You can lie down on the bunk. You can stand up on the narrow passage between the bunks and the shelf. You might be able to pace back and forth for five steps. It's noisy here, TV's blaring, yelling, announcements. This is where we'll sit. This is where we'll stand or lie down.
right, welcome back into the room. Um, so we'll just have a brief stretch break right now, and I can lead you guys through um, just a couple movements we can do in our chairs and seated that are similar to what we do with our guys inside. Um, and before we do that, I just am going to name that how we have the room set up is nowhere near like how we would do this inside. Um, for one thing, we're not sitting separately from the guys. We're usually in one big circle, and everyone has an opportunity to see who's here. So um, perhaps to start, we can look around and see who's here. Uh, so this is also a good time just to say if you need to use the restroom or you'd like to get a drink. Um, otherwise, now that we've all seen who's here, and again, that's because uh, we don't like to have people stacked behind anyone because someone sitting behind you can actually be um, a very vulnerable place to be. And so that's why we're usually sitting in a circle. Um, so to start with some movement, uh, I invite everyone to sit up nice and tall and come forward on your chair if you'd like. And already I see some people starting to take movements that would feel good for your body and encourage you to do that. Anything that I offer up is just a suggestion. This is your space to stretch and uh, get comfortable. And so to start off, start by pressing firmly down into your feet. Feel your tailbone sitting against your chair. Start to stretch the spine up a little bit taller. And if you'd like and it feels comfortable now, you could inhale, reach your arms up. Mm, this might feel good after sitting. Might want to stretch a little bit side to side. Might feel good to bring some movement into your wrists. Good. One more big breath, stretching up there, inviting in more space. And exhale, your hands can come down. Good. Even just after that, you might take a few breaths to check in and see how your body's feeling now. And again, if there are any movements you feel calling to you or you feel the bathroom calling to you, <laughs> listen to those calls. Otherwise, start to bring some circles around with your spine. Moving in one direction. And then the other direction. Noticing how one direction might feel a little bit different than the other. Breathing deeply. You can let your head and your neck get involved. This can be a really big circle or just a little one. And then eventually coming back to a place of stillness. Taking a few breaths here, once again filling up with air, lifting the crown of your head up towards the ceiling. And then once again we'll inhale, reaching the arms up high. And exhaling, bringing the hands back down. Good. And if you'd like now, you can once again inhale, lift up nice and tall. And exhale, start to turn your torso over towards the right side. Getting a gentle twist. And inhale once again. See if you can find more length. Lifting up. And exhale. Press firmly into your feet. 
ground down. Good, and then inhale back to center. And exhale, let the shoulders relax down. Good, and again, over to the left side now. Inhale, lift up nice and tall. And exhale, gently turn your torso. Inhale, lifting, lengthening. And exhale, maybe turning a little bit more. Good, inhale, back to center. And exhale, the shoulders roll down. Good. And then you can take another few breaths, check in with how you might be feeling now. Noticing, again, if there's any places in your body that you're still feeling tension. Noticing if you've found a little bit more space, a little bit more stillness. And then you can open your eyes back up. And if you'd like this, again, is a good time to maybe stand up and shake out your legs. And again, just move in a way that feels good for you. Could be swaying a little bit. Could be actually shaking the legs. Yes, bouncing. Can be playful. And then when you feel good and moved, you can take your seat again. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. That was great. Good. wanted to each share with you from our own perspective uh, why we started going into prison and why we continue to go. And I just want to mention when Jill was leading the meditation and she was talking about that we ride in the car together, I got like really emotional because um, I think we usually are driving in Jill and Bruce's car and I feel like if those walls could talk <laughs> um, in the time we've been going in together that we call it our rolling sangha it's a community for us and what we've shared all of us have been through some stuff in the time we've been together and we share that and so that was just a huge bonus of this practice um, that was completely unexpected but really precious to me. And if I, if I think about why I really wanted to go in initially, there are a few things that come to mind. One is that um, the practice of metta or loving kindness is a really big part of my meditation practice. And to, um, to offer those well wishes in person to people who are so hidden away from society and um, to be able to look them in the eye and shake their hand and very sincerely offer them those wishes felt like a real um, living meditation practice. And um, I think also because I've always had a certain skepticism and rebelliousness about my Buddhist practice, <laughs> that I wanted to test it um, 
you know, in a more difficult circumstance, in a more challenging environment. Well, this is good here when we're sitting in this <coughs> lovely space with people who are able to bring themselves here and avail themselves of, of time for practice and meditation. But what, how does this practice hold up in tougher circumstances? And um, so that, I think, was part of it for me that I didn't realize consciously, but I think that that was always there. And um, I think that what has continued for me is one of the things, one of the real benefits is really valuable to me is I feel that practicing in prison keeps my own personal practice humble. It keeps me from getting, I don't know, I just, I don't know how to put it in words, but it's a way of keeping my feet solidly planted on the ground and that, and recognizing that um, turning into my own suffering, which I learned to do sitting on a cushion like this, like the courage and the, the skill to turn into my own suffering, um, to take that courage and skill to turn into the suffering of others um, is super humbling because it feels um, it's it's hard to find enough sometimes to hold that up and I really appreciate the humility that that brings for my own practice <clears throat> and I love these guys <laughs> and those guys We're there too <laughs> Yeah, I'm Bruce. Um, I was really thinking about this because I kind of have to think about it each time we do something like this. I think really my, my uh, I was a physician before I retired uh, 17 years ago and uh, I went into it for pretty altruistic reasons into being a doctor. And um, I felt after doing that for 30 years that I uh, I was really given a gift by the community of being able to be a doctor, all the trainings and everything else, all the people that supported me. And uh, I had this strong sense when I retired that I wanted to give back uh, some of that goodness that I received. And um, one of the members of, of then Vipassana Santa Cruz that was meeting over on California Street at the First Methodist Church, Richard Shankman, was just looking at starting a program and he said you know is there anybody here that would be interested because it hasn't started yet but it's I think I'm going to be successful and we'll need volunteers and so uh, I thought wow this I was sort of curious about it uh, I you know heard some things about prison and knew that there were some real big problems with our prison system and I just was curious to see for myself so I think those were um, wanting to give back and curiosity were probably my two big reasons for going. And why do I keep going back? I was thinking while I was meditating, I know you're not supposed to read <laughs> um, It occurred to me that, um, you know, there are these, these, the heavenly abodes that we talk about, the Brahma Viharas and, and uh, in Buddhist practice, and for those of you who don't have a Buddhist practice, it just means just uh, uh, wholesome places to put your heart and mind. Uh, and when you dwell there, it feels good. Well, um, for me, with the guys, it's about love and compassion. I've really, you, I've, I, I love the men. I just love uh, 
their effort. I love being with them. I love their banter. Uh, I, I love their courage. Um, and uh, one can't help but feel compassion. When, when you sit there and you are privileged to their stories, which sometimes are really hard to listen to, what, what they grew up under, uh, the circumstance under which they grew up, uh, you can't help but feel great compassion and wonder that had you endured that, how would you have worked out? You know, would you be ending up in the same institution? So it's really the love of the men. And it, you know what, uh, Vicky was talking about metta, which is this sort of universal kindness or friendly, loving concern or whatever. Um, it makes you realize that you can, love really does know no bounds if you are able to just open your heart. I mean, I'm, I know that many of the men that I love have murdered people. And so it makes you realize the, the power of metta. So that's for me. Thank you. Uh, so when I first um, started getting interested about going in, I actually attended a talk just like this. Uh, it was with Bruce and Jill and Vicky, and they were giving their pre prison presentation, and I thought I'd be interested in being a pen pal uh, because I like to write, and I had a practice starting. Um, I really didn't know much about mass incarceration. I had never been into a prison. Um, and there was a moment of clarity when I heard the stories and I heard their experiences and I heard the men's words when I felt this is just absolutely outside of my comfort zone and I knew that I needed to move towards that <laughs> and lean in. So I started volunteering going in with these guys and um, it, to say it has been uh, profound is kind of an understatement uh, ever since I started going in started to expand my own knowledge and understanding and thirst for working inside these systems um, of oppression, understanding more about the, the causes of why certain people end up in prison. Again, like Bruce was saying, why um, and how certain people don't. And um, <clears throat> recognizing that there was so little actually that's different between uh, you know, us as outsiders coming in and the guys on the inside. And um, I continue to go in and create more spaces for people to do this type of uh, introspective work and getting embodied because, again, it's so clearly these are members of our human family. These aren't criminals. These aren't bad people. These are our brothers. These are our sisters. These are people who are no different than you and I who are wanting to wake up just like you and I, and to go through that process together and to uh, really horizontalize ourselves with them has been such a, um, a pivotal piece of my personal practice. Um, it has, again, it keeps me so humbled um, and it also keeps me hungry to continue to understand my own uh, lacks of consciousness or um, perceptions of how people might be and um, how people end up in the situations they do. And um, again, yeah, I love, love the men, um, love the, the 
courage to turn towards suffering in an environment that is inherently suffering and um, to bear witness to that courage and to bear witness to that openness and the vulnerability that they they come in with um, is truly an honor um, and one of the hardest <laughs> things to do yeah thanks I think I have a history of wanting to work with uh, difficult people. Um, or she's married to me. <laughs> no, he was the balance to me. <laughs> I'm a difficult person. Maybe that's why. I'm uh, trying to figure out more about myself. Um, I used to teach emotionally disturbed children. I was always attracted to people who didn't fit in. And um, I think of this population of men and women who are incarcerated is the forgotten and disappeared. They really disappeared. We don't want to think about them. We don't want to pay attention. Our culture, our, our culture doesn't particularly want to. And um, we forget what human beings are and that they come in every size and shape and in every place and there's lots of them in prison and we are privileged to be able to um, have this relationship with some of the forgotten disappeared who have a heart <coughs> and um, in a sense it's almost like the heart is just waiting to be discovered so we're there to witness the, the discovery, their own discovery of their hearts. Um, I started the same story that Bruce told, because we were both asking Richard every week, well, what's going on? Is the program getting ready to start? And finally it was, and finally we went in. And um, I was curious. I also, like Bruce, had a very strong sense of wanting to give back. Um, just I can't put my finger on why or when or where but it was it started very early so yes it was curiosity that brought me in I don't even think I knew that it was also um, confirming our our common human suffering frailty also our our common ability to move beyond that, move through it, and find our, find our hearts together. So one thing is, yes, I'm very attached. Did you hear that word? I'm attached to the, our rolling song. <laughs> it's, it's so wonderful. I used to call it the sub-sangha, meaning the little sangha, the big, but it, I think I like the rolling sangha much better. Vicki coined that word. <laughs> Um, it's a real privilege to work with this group and it's been a privilege to work with others who volunteered with us in the past. And it's a privilege to go in. You know, it's not just working with the men, by the way. We work with all the people there. We work with staff people. We work with correctional officers. Um, officers at high levels. Officers just every day on the floor officers 
And we find out the same is true for them too. They're human beings too who are also forgotten and disappeared. And they too have hearts. Sometimes you're not sure that you could find it with <laughs> some of them. It's true. It's the whole spectrum of humanity is there. The whole spectrum of humanity works there, lives there, just like the whole spectrum of humanity is outside too. So that's been wonderful to really see the people who work there as human, important human beings. Um, so that's another way of bringing practice, of integrating practice into the actual direct practice that where we quote teach. We actually, it's much more of a um, collective teaching. We share each other's wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom that comes from the men. We're not there to give it to them. They're there to share theirs with us too. Um, so it's been a constant learning process. Constant learning process. It never stops. We're never the experts. We really don't know. And we go. I've gone in there for a lot of years as you've heard and I can still tell you, I know very little about prison. We have a very narrow view. We have the view of the men coming into the chapel. Sometimes we go into the buildings and we talk to them in the inside and the cell at the cell door, which is another view of what's going on. But we don't know anything really about what it's like to live there and the challenges they face, and the threats they face. So, I'm very humbled from that point of view too. It's a beautiful experience. It is not always easy. It sounds a lot better when we're talking about it right now. It's really hard. There are a lot of parts of it that are really hard, frustrating, disappointing. Um, for all kinds of reasons, not just the men, the whole the way the whole institution runs. Picture the most dysfunctional institution that you could think of, possibly, and that's what it is. And to make changes is worse than trying to move a stalled train. So mm -hmm. it's just part of the deal. So we work with that too, and that's a good part of practice also. So. I keep going in because I care, because I love this rolling sangha, because I love the men, because maybe one out of four times you can come back and say, wow, that was an amazing day. <laughs> but it's still, it's still good. It's still good to go with the intention of just being present. So thank you. What can I add now? <laughs> um, the Sangha, the rolling Sangha, thank you. Um, why did I start? I think I, I had experienced my own transformation and healing through the practice. And I had been teaching meditation on the outside, as we say, on the outside for several years and and seen what it did for people. And I thought, who 
needs this liberation more than than these forgotten people in the system that I was aware of the system of mass incarceration and the injustice there and maybe I could bring some peace there um, and the word humble keeps coming up because it's so real it is so humbling to to become aware of so much suffering such deep suffering um, on multiple multiple levels um, but it is also humbling to see the ability of the human spirit to heal, to transform, to grow spiritually, and to have that, that dialectic that's going on, my own growth, my own, my container, getting bigger because of what I'm getting from, from these really fine, fine people. You know, um, people who have obviously made uh, terrible, terrible mistakes in their lives um, and gone through terrible, terrible trauma and are now reaching for growth. Uh, and those connections can be, are, can, are heartbreaking and beautiful and terrible. Um, and it, it stretches me uh, every time uh, and it is probably the most profound and, and uh, important thing I've ever done. So that's why I'm still going in. <laughs> <coughs> So we thought we would um, give you an idea of what we do when we go in there. It's not always the same. We uh, we um, are um, always open to sort of doing what's called for, and sometimes there'll be something like a long lockdown, and and we might go in with a agenda, but then we see that really there's a whole different agenda that needs to be addressed. So Nancy uh, is going to just give you an idea what the components of what we do are and then and what Bruce just said is really really important because going with the flow is what you've got to do you've got to meet where you're at what you find but we go in with a general idea that we're going to do these things and they're not always done in this order but we will usually do one of all of these things so we'll meet we'll come into circle we'll greet each other uh, we shake everybody's hands. That's a very big deal because most of these men are not touched by anyone else but each other. Uh, because we're going in as chaplains, we're allowed that hand-to-hand -hand contact and uh, to look people in the eye and say, you know, I see you and hello is very, very important. And so everybody generally shakes everybody's hand in the circle. And that's an important way to, that we start. Um, and then we'll often, at that point, do a check-in. Uh, it can be a simple check-in. How are you feeling in your body? How are you feeling? You know, what's going on with you emotionally? What's been happening this week? 
or we might have a specific question that we are posing as a prompt. Can I, I can everybody Please. hear well without straining? Okay, thank you. Um, then we generally, uh, I like to start with some movement. I'm a, I'm a yoga instructor, but that's not, you know, Ayla and I usually do yoga, we'll do walking meditation, um, Qigong, Qigong uh, but some kind of movement and we put it at different points but often to start out just kind of settles people into the place they need to be and that'll be 20 or 30 minutes of movement uh, and then we meditate meditating for about 20 minutes um, depending on who you've got and that's the thing that you've got you know sometimes there'll be long time sangha members that have been coming in that have been in there for a, over a decade uh, with Jill and Ruth and sometimes somebody just walked in you didn't know here they are today so you're getting all different levels of experience and all di different levels of comfort so how much guidance you give, you know, depends on what you've got and how long you're going to go without a break. Uh, and then we generally have some kind of Dharma talk and that can really range from an article we might bring in and share with the men from, you know, Lion's Roar or something, or just extemporaneously we're going to talk about the Four Noble Truths or uh, you know, whatever. And it be begins with a talk or the reading of the article and then there's always a, a lively discussion um, and again always moved by the wisdom in the room and that's that's a day that's a day there it's two hours we, we get there at one and leave by about three Thanks, Nancy. Um, I just want to mention one thing as we've been talking about the men this is a men's prison but we do have some transgender women that come to our program. It's a particularly challenging environment for them, for their own safety, for, um, yeah, so I just feel yeah, like it, I, sure. I feel like it's important to acknowledge that. And though, even though we kind of as shorthand talk about the men in the program, that um, that is something that's really struck me of just like profound difficulty and the way we, um, continue to keep them in a men's prison, even as they're going through transition, and it's, it's really difficult. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Start. Oh, okay. Yeah, so what we'd like to do now is um, read some of the words of the men. Um, we ask them to uh, write down some things for us. And unfortunately, it's very hard to exchange. We didn't get too too many. We got responses, but I think we missed a lot of them because it's very hard to exchange paper at, at a prison. You're actually not supposed to bring things out, so it has to be done in certain ways. So anyway, uh, we will read them. And interspersed, I've looked up some uh, pretty current statistics. So in between, rather than lay about... 20 statistics on you at once where it all turns into a blur. I'll, I'll just kind of let you know a few statistics in between as we go through. And uh, there's probably going to be more here than I'll be able to do, but why don't you start? 
Um, so this is a comment from George. So we invited people who've been practicing for a while to write some reflections on the practice, what it's like practicing in prison, and what the um, benefits have been for them. And we, uh, I think as was mentioned at the beginning, at the, at the end there'll be a chance for you to write something to them, but that mm -hmm. was commonly asked when we said, well, they wanted to know why do they want to know what we have to say, and why would they come to this talk? Like they found it, I had a few people mention me, it's very, it felt special to them that you guys wanted to come and hear yeah. about them and hear their words, but also they wanted to know what you had to say. So mm -hmm. I would encourage you to participate in that at the end. So George says, I'm currently housed by myself, meaning he doesn't have a cellmate, so it's much easier for me to catch myself when I'm lost in thought, to bring myself back to the present. I pay more attention to what I'm doing and why I am doing it. I feel focused, alive, at peace, and I love the humbleness it brings me. How do I do it? It's by the effort to change and for change. <clears throat> I'll read a statistic. Bruce. So wait, Bruce. Let's have a pause. Yeah. Okay. So our incarceration rate in the United States is 2.2 million people in state and federal prisons and jails. That's the most inmates in the world, and it's also the highest incarceration rate of any country in the world. Just to give you a comparison, we, we lock up seven, 716 per 100,000. Russia locks up 385 per 100,000. China locks up 118 per 100,000. And India and Nigeria lock up 30 per 100,000. We're at 716 per 100,000. So now I'll share some words from Sean, and uh, Sean has been coming to our group um, for a little while now, and he's a father, and he's been really anxious about um, upcoming possibility of parole, and um, has found the group and the practice to be really helpful as he's been really anxious about that. And um, particularly, I remember one of the last times I was in, and Sean sort of let escape out about how he feels scared all the time and he's so tense even at night and he just he he just blurted out into this group and um, it was this beautiful coming together of his his sangha to support him and also him remembering some of these techniques of deep breathing and then coming back to the present moment um, that you know could help bring him relief in that that moment but also uses a tool when we're not in the group this is what Sean has to say about meditation. First, I cut the radio and the TV off so I can meditate in silence. I cut off the lights and cover the window so I can be in the dark. I sit on my bunk and count to three while I close my eyes gently. I say to myself, think of water and its flow. That usually gets me relaxed. After a while, 
I'm in a meditative mindset that takes me away from negative thoughts and has me focused on the positive thoughts. Yeah, I've noticed I'm more comfortable and feel a lot of weight being lifted off of my shoulders and life. Statistics. Oh. <laughs> so, so this one is about um, what I'm titling race, racial and ethnic asymmetry. So, the likelihood of a person born in 2001 of being incarcerated in his lifetime is all men one in nine, white men one in seventeen. Black men, one in three, and Latino men, one in six. All women, one in 56. White women, one in 111. Black women, one in 18. Latina women, one in 45. The good news is the, the rate of incarceration for black women has declined since 2000, uh, 2000 while white and Latina uh, rates do continue to increase, so there's been some change. I like what you said, Ayla, about the Sangha, because that's a thing we haven't mentioned. And the Sangha, we build Sangha there, and they are there for each other in a very real way, and talk about how what they, the trust that they build there, the community, and then they're able to spread this out in, in the yard and they talk about the pebble mm -hmm. and how the yard changes and some of them have come because they've seen another man and seen them change and like mm -hmm. the way they carry themselves on the yard and they want to know what where they got that this is from Montero Practicing can be real hard at times. The crazy thing is that what I learn in the group is staying calm or taking deep breaths before acting on stuff. So this, these statistics are involved with women in prison. So while men in prison have increased five times since 1980, our imprisonment rate, women have increased eight times. So their incarceration rates are even, are even higher than men, the change. And 60% of incarcerated women in state prisons have a child under the age of 18. So the impact. So this is um, some words from Loyal, who has been coming, I think, maybe six to eight months, something like that, I would say. And uh, big, tall, strong guy, uh, pretty young, been dealing with a lot of back pain, real severe sciatica that he's not getting much help in prison with. We try and help him. Um, and uh, so uh, he says, the practice has improved my life 
in so many ways. Due to the teaching, I am now a more understanding man. I can now focus and relax. Being in prison, a person needs a way to put their guard down. I use the teachings to free myself from this cage. Thank you, loyal. And two weeks ago when Nancy and I went in, uh, we led a meditation and then we oftentimes we'll check in after the meditation, how was that for you? And he said, well, I was able to really get into a really very highly relaxed, deep state of rest. And he said, maybe it's because before I came in here in the morning, there was an alarm. So what happens sometimes is due to an event, it, it doesn't have to be a, um, an aggressive event or uh, an infraction. It can just be if someone's sick on the yard, they'll have everybody go down. So the alarm sounds and all, all the inmates have to go down on the ground. We're differentiated because we don't wear blue. We cannot wear blue, but the men are all in blue. So anybody standing who would be in blue would be potential target for the tower guards. So they were on the ground, and apparently they were on the ground for a really long time. You never know when it starts how long it's going to be. So he decided that he would it would be safe because everybody had to be down. Nobody was going to get up. He decided to lie down on his back, kind of try and get into a position that felt good for his sciatica, and just sort of gently look up at the sky. And he said he learned that the omnipresent back pain that he was experiencing wasn't as steady as he thought it was. By meditating, he realized that it sort of ebbed and flowed, and sometimes it actually even went away, which of course is an important Buddhist practice of impermanence. Mm -hmm. And to learn something like that is really profound. And uh, then he said, he said the mountains and everything around just felt so vibrant and so alive. And he said, as I was lying there, a bird, I was very still, I didn't move, and a bird came up and just was pecking around me. Mm -hmm. And was there any, there, I think that was pretty much it. I mean, he was describing a real deep, sense of rest and presence that that happened with him and so you know when when we're, we're teaching and we get feedback and we hear of something like that it makes your day mm -hmm. <laughs> here's somebody who really is pretty new to practice and had a pretty profound experience so private prisons so from 2000 to 2016, there's been a 47% increase in overall prison incarceration, while overall prison incarceration only increased 9%. So these private prison corporations are becoming a bigger part of the mix. It decreased, actually. I'm sorry, could you explain that again? I'm not sure I got that. Yes. So from 2000 to 2016 there's been a 40% 47% increase in men in private prison their their population for profit prison so they're paid GO by the and so they're, they're they're paid by the government they're paid by yeah. us to incarcerate yeah. right right and the overall uh, prison population only increased 9% so it wasn't due to the increase in I prison see. population it's due a relative increase in private prison. Uh, GEO was one of them, and I can't think... Uh, GeoCorp, and it used to prisons, uh, I, something I, I, of America. 
Uh, it actually had started to decrease in 2012 when Obama uh, uh, told uh, the uh, federal prisons to uh, stop making contracts with the private prisons. But Obama, uh, but uh, Trump has restored the private prisons and their stocks have gone way up and now it's on the increase again. And also for detention facilities. Oh my gosh. Immigration. Yes. The same yes. And I should that. say, by the way, I should have said that these statistics that I'm telling you about incarceration rates and all, they don't involve ICE prisons, which are mostly private, as Heidi said, and they don't involve um, they don't involve juvenile <coughs> detention. So oh, that's oh, separate yeah. statistics. They don't involve what? Juvenile. Oh, so juveniles and ICE detentions are not included in all these statistics, oh. so that's even worse. And people are incarcerated people are, are working, working to make things sometimes for these uh, prisons. They're making five cents an hour, eight cents an hour, and then their phone calls hmm. can be two dollars, three dollars uh, per minute. So if that statistic bothers you, one thing that you can do to take action if you're able to vote is to check on candidates that you are considering voting for if they take donations from private um, prisons. This is a letter from Stephen. To whom it matters. How do I manage practicing Buddhism in prison? I tend to find myself missing a few yards to have that moment of silence when my celly is gone. But I always have that hour when I turn off all my appliances and sit there reflecting, getting in tune with myself. And as a result, it makes me have a better understanding and awareness of people and the things around me. The biggest accomplishment from practicing Buddhism is being able to write poetry now, hmm. one of which I've, I'm enclosing to be shared at your establishment. I would also like to be placed on your pen pal waiting list. Hmm. Stephen, here's Stephen's poem. A Peace of Mind, P-I-E-C-E, -E, written on January 13th. 2019. If I could put a lasso around the moon, I'll pin it to the ground so it could hover above my head like a balloon. As I lay, picturesque, so serene, a vision to behold, only seen in dreams, my wandering eyes give the clouds a look as they open up like pages in a book. No disrespect to the gods up above, but this is my moment to show myself some love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A peace of mind is all I'm asking, because beneath your moon is where I'm relaxing. A sudden change in the clouds, it is understood. By mid-morning, I'll release it back to the skies. It's all good. As my mind finds peace, I wave goodbye to that moon in the sky, for this moment is forever embedded in my mind's eye. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
So just a little hope here of some things that have happened in a positive way. At the state level, there was a California Prop 47 in 2014, which changed some low-level property and drug crimes from felony to, to misdemeanor. And in New York, they reformed the Rockefeller drug laws, which imposed very harsh mandatory minimum sentences for low-level drug crimes. So that's some positive here. Okay, I'm going to read you a message from Mario, and um, something to share about Mario is that, um, like others, I like other men in prison, I have learned some things about gender and gender relationships um, through through these interactions. Um, I think sometimes there are men in our groups who've never had in their lives. Um, a relationship with a woman that's based on respect and care. It's non-sexual, it's non-familial, and this is really new for some people, how to be a, a man and a woman in a respectful, relation, wholesome relationship. And um, that's not to say that some don't become quite confused about it. We have to deal with those things as they come up, and that certainly does come up. Um, but there's also some real effort there, and it's beautiful to see that. Um, one of the things that Mario had shared with me is how he was raised to never strike a woman or to hurt a woman in any way. And he showed me a scar on his arm from being stabbed by a woman he was in a relationship with because, according to him, he couldn't fight back because that was the right thing to do. But a civilian woman, so a woman not gang-affiliated, the rules change. And he, does, he would commit violence against a gang-affiliated woman because those are the rules of the gang. So making that seen in a different way. Um, Mario says, Namaste. <laughs> they love that word. I think Nancy and Ayla introduced it and they come in like from the yard all sweaty from playing basketball. Mm. Namaste. <laughs> and they say it to each other on the no, instead of saying, you know, chill out, they'll go, Namaste. Yeah. <laughs> There's something really sweet about that. It is. Namaste. First, let me say how Buddhism has saved my life. I love to practice. The challenge with practicing while in prison is the inconsistency. The lockdowns are many, and due to the number of yards, our volunteers aren't able to attend every week. But when they do attend, they're very much appreciated for sharing with us their time and wisdom and teaching. What I think would be beneficial is some kind of consistency. <laughs> I would like for the volunteers to attend every week. I have noticed a stronger practice since joining the Sangha. I feel fortunate to have met all the volunteers. Thank you for your time. May peace and contentment be to you all. With a bow, Mario. Mm -hmm. 
So this will be the last. So these are reforms in recent years. And now at the federal level, in 2014, the United States Sentencing Commission reduced the excessive sentences for 46,000 inmates. This was under Obama. And Congress in 2012 passed a Fair Sentencing Act which reduced the disparity between sentences for crack and powdered cocaine, which of course had a devastating effect on the black community because that's where the crack was, was, uh, was found and that's where the sentences were asymmetrical. So it was very, very rough and a, clearly a racial policy. So that was revoked. We've had a pen pal program, which you can learn a little bit more about at the end. But I want to read some things from letters that we've received from some of our pen pals. I don't know how many we've had through the years. We, we do write through a P.O. box, it's, so it's not anything that comes directly to us. And also, Jan is here tonight and has had a long pen pal relationship, so she also is going to read something in a minute. So this one is from Vu. And just to give you a little bit of background, this was on, this is in a level four prison, which means maximum security. This was in one of the most secure yards within that. It's a highly gang affiliated um, yard. And it's so, they're so careful about security. Uh, we are in a locked chapel when we're running our program all the time. Nobody is allowed out until a, um, a correctional patio officer, a correctional officer is called to escort the men. They have to make sure that nobody from a rival gang is outside that area because they would try to kill each other. And it has happened. So they're very, very nervous about the security. So this is a man who is in that yard. And this is what he wrote. He has since left for several other prisons. He's been in several other prisons since. What is most appreciated from my meditation practice at present is the capacity to detect that sinking feeling before the onslaught of negative thoughts and feelings arise. Then to disengage before it kicks up ahead of steam. I remember coming to our sangha in shackles. So when these men first came, they were handcuffed and they were attached to a waist belt. And to our horror and dismay, that they weren't unlocked once they were inside the chapel. They had to stay that way. And they were very upset about it too. But that's a whole other story that maybe Bruce will elaborate in, in a while. But I remember coming to our sangha in shackles. What a lesson to think how perfectly at peace our Let's see. I, excuse me. I look back now on the emptiness of shackles and prison suffering as a whole to think how perfectly at peace our Sangha was under such terrible conditions and the remarkable changes that took place as a result. We were the beneficiary, beneficiaries of your collective wisdom and calm energy. I credit our time together on Sea Yard as foundational for all my growth and positive achievements since. And that's from Vu. 
So this is um, this is from Jamil. Uh, first of all, I should say that we cannot write people who are coming to our program. We have to only time we can write them is when they get transferred to another program, another prison, and then we can we can have a pen pal relationship with them. Um, so Jamil was with us for I think about five or six years at least. And then um, he got sent to several other different prisons. While in prison, he got a valley fever, coccidiomycosis, and, and, and uh, very common in one of the prisons he was in. And has, it's really affected his health. He's now 65 years old. He has a dual Buddhist meditation practice and Islamic practice as well. He's uh, um, got a firm practice in that. He was a, a member of a soul group called the Blackbirds in the 60s and 70s. And actually, he was one of their lead singers. And uh, we've got the internet stuff to prove it. In fact, <laughs> he keeps wanting me to send him pictures of him and stories about the group because people don't believe him in prison when he tells them that that's where he is. So he's been just a real, he sends us birthday cards and that he makes himself that he makes he calls them uh, uh, um, what's it called what is it? he has like a, uh, well I'll think of it as, as I'm <laughs> should, going we should have brought um, so this is really not so much about how great the practice has been for him but just describing some of the some of the things that go on in prison he said I was tempted to retaliate this youngster above me called me a nigger and wanted to fight me last week that took me by surprise. He and the other wannabe young lifers are mad because the staff has stopped their negative rap music playing throughout the large TVs. I feel that's a lot of the problem in the Afro-American community. There's so many youngsters living in California's slave camps, lost in negative messages. I reported it to my UMA, which is the Muslim community, for support from the youngsters because I'm elderly and I'm sick. Back in the day, I might have fought, but I have too much to lose. And that's Jamil. Mm. So it's rough in there. And by the way, the, the he calls them recession yes. recession products or something yes. like that. That's his, and, his cards. And, and they're just wonderful. Cards. Um, the other thing is we actually, we you could find it too, you know, on the internet. We've actually heard his group sing. And so that's interesting good. too. Yeah, they were good. They sounded a little like Tower of Power, if any of you guys <laughs> remember them. It's called Blackbirds? Blackbirds spelled B Y R D S. Blackbirds, yeah. So, Jan, I wonder if you would say something about sure. why you are writing and anything. Come on up here, yeah. if you would. Come sit here. I'll yeah. move. We want to hear your words about being a pen pal. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this proves <Whoa>. it. <laughs> so um, I, I think it was about five years ago, Bruce and Jill put out an invitation uh, for if anybody wanted to be a pen pal. And um, I just felt like, well, that, that's, that's one thing I can do. Like, I can do that. So that's kind of what pulled me, and I really, um, I thought, well, what are we going to write about? <laughs> I, I, like, I wasn't sure, and um, 
The name of my pen pal is Roberto, and I'll, I'll share an excerpt from one of his letters. And um, so we've been writing back and forth since 2014. He will be 40 years old in November, and I think he's been in prison since he's been about 21. And he was able to go to your group and he's been transferred a number of times. Um, and I'm so grateful that he keeps writing me because I don't know when he's transferred unless I hear from him and get a new address. And um, I would say in every single letter, he just expresses so much gratitude that I write to him. You know, he just expresses this gratitude, and for me, um, there's such a kindness from him. You know, he's, he's, there's, there's just, I don't know, he's kind. That's mm. what I can say. He's really kind. And um, I asked him once, I said, you know, how is it for you for me to write about my life outside because I felt like a little shy like you know to say oh I got to go blah 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 and um, he said I want to hear it all he said I can't be there I want to hear it from you so um, I brought this because I, I had no idea when Jill asked me if I wanted to read something that I had all these letters from him and um, it's pretty amazing I had no idea that there were that many, so I just wanted to to bring that. And he's um, describes himself as a lifer. I don't know what his crime is, and um, he remains so hopeful and positive that he'll be released one day. His family's in Mexico, and during his time in prison, um, there's been a number of friends or family members who've died. You know, so he's had these losses, but nobody to really grieve with. So um, I'll just read you part of this. Is this the one I want to read? Yeah. To my dear friend Jan. Hello, my dear friend Jan. So happy to hear from you. I was very worried, but always thinking positive. I, I just want to say English isn't his first language, and he, he writes so beautifully. I was missing your letters already. I'm glad that you are okay. Hope your family are doing great. Last time I wrote you, I sent you a letter and a picture of my family. Hope you received it. He sent me a picture. It was like his one picture. Oh, I sent so it precious. back to him, but it was like, felt like I had gold in my hand. Hmm. About my transfer, nothing yet, but this place is getting a little better. Now they put me in a vocational class of auto body. It's nice. I like it. I'm still attending self-help programs. Destiny is a word that I always use. And the reason is because I take life as it comes. I cannot change the future, 
but I try to do my best to not have more mistakes in life. I'm working really hard and changing for better. Sometimes it's hard in here in prison because of the people around me, but I'm learning to be patient. Everything in life is a mystery. You have seen, Jan, have you seen the law is going to change tomorrow? Lots of people getting time shorter. Not all of them, only nonviolent people. I'm glad for them. I just hope they take advantage of this break in their lives. I'm glad the baby is okay, my niece. Is It's very interesting how life begins. I can imagine how happy are you. I always wish you the best, my dear friend. I like to read what's going on with you out there, and I'm glad that there's people that believe in the change of people that still see us as persons, as human beings. I learned that our childhood, one, one or another way, was involved in our future bad behavior. There is homework in Lifer Group called Social Factors, where it tells you and asks you how life was. Since you remember, mine was very violent so, mm. since I was seven or eight years old. It's very interesting things that we learned there and the other groups too. Mm. So it's a little sample and um, it's a real blessing for me and um, I think I'll go home and write him tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and almost everyone in every group I'm in wants pen pals. And they treat they, those letters are precious. They never throw anything away. They oh. keep everything unless it's taken, which it often is, by mm. COs. Uh, but you just can't know how precious. Mm. So, so there will be an opportunity yeah. at the end if you want to learn more about the pen pal program or you're curious to find out more about coming into prison to speak to people more at length. And we also will have a couple sign-up sheets, one for pen pals and one just for more information about coming in. They have, look at this. There's 27 lines. Each of you. I'm could, optimistic. Nancy was really optimistic. But anyway, I think it would be great if a few of them got filled up. There are really a lot of guys who would love to have a pen pad. And um, you can learn all about it. It's totally safe. There are guidelines for it. And uh, I'll stop right there. So this is a time for you to ask questions, um, if you have any. Anything further that you'd like to know, Bob? Actually, it's not a question, but um, it, I just want to share a little of, of a, a personal experience. And um, so, some years ago, I was someone signed out for me to uh, offer some support to a person in prison that was a psychologist that uh, sexually abused his children, patients. And there was a lot of, no, I don't want to be with this type of person. I don't want to have anything to do. It, it disgusted me. And yet there's something called to me. Uh, I'll, I'll 
one time. And I had a phone call with him, and then we talked again. And it's just, a, and we've maintained now a, a pen pal relationship. And I think I just want to share, like, like it was so powerful for me to be, like, this was probably the last person, if you will, I'd want to be in relationship with. And yet my heart melted with his sincerity and earnestness of wanting to make amends and to acknowledge. And so I just, I, I just really bow to the work that you're doing because I, I, I know that at times we might be working working with people that their back story is something like, how could I be with even this type of person and yet find their heart? Mm-hmm. So I just I just want to just really bow to you all, but I'm sure there's things that um, you have to bear witness to that are powerful. And, and, and I am surprised with my heart that opened what I didn't think it was going to open. I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I've had that same experience. Um, I'm in another group uh, that I facilitate where I do know what the crimes were that were done, and some of them are are (coughs) terribly shocking. Uh, But in that same group, I learn a further backstory the the story of their childhood um, and that is also um, indescribably um, hard to learn and uh, if there's one thing I know is that uh, there but for the grace of God go I mm-hmm. um, and that's something that uh, really strikes you you know, until when you say this is someone I could never be with the horror of what they've done, uh, you have to understand the horror of what's been done to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I believe in uh, healing mm-hmm. and transformation, and I see it happen every day. Mm-hmm. Yes. The adage that Jacques Verdun has been leading programs in San Quentin for over 20 years now. <laughs> Brings over and over <coughs> that hurt people hurt people, mm-hmm. and healed people heal people. Mm-hmm. There's one more thing that I reflect on often. I don't know if you know who Sister Helen Prejean is. She's the person who wrote Dead Man Walking, and um, used to have uh, very frequent uh, contact with men who were incarcerated. Um, One of the things she said, which I reflect on often, is none of us want to be known for the worst thing we've ever done. That is not who we are. But if you're convicted of a crime, that's exactly what happens. You are a this. A this. And so I I think what we're doing is we're finding out what else besides that. I don't want you to know the worst thing I've ever done. And I know you don't want me to know either. (laughs) But I think that that's just the point. We all have things that we're ashamed of, that we've done uh, either unconsciously or consciously that that we are not proud of. So it happens unfairly that some of the people are 
punished more severely than others. And so many of these things happened when, you know, 16, 17, 18, mm -hmm. 19 years old. Yeah. And usually under the influence. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I wanted to say, uh, since Heidi spoke up, that we intended also to mention for her that uh, she, uh, Heidi does, ha, ha, does work in the jails, for women's jails. So if somebody would women's like to be... Women's and men, but we, women's and men's jails. Oh, okay, you're doing men's too. Okay. But here in Santa Cruz. But it's yeah, local, yeah. and so if anybody... If that sounds better. Then, yeah. uh, We're not in competition. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, see Heidi because... There's plenty to go around. Yeah, there yeah, really. is. There, unfortunately, there is. Yeah. Can we answer any other questions that come up around this work? Yes. Do they receive visitation from anybody other than you? Can their families come? It's really difficult. Yes, their families are allowed to come on specific days, under specific circumstances. They may have to travel a very long distance without the resources to stay overnight. And sometimes they'll lock down the prison when they get there or before because of various things that go on and they can't see them. It's laborious to visit somebody in prison. But yes, they can. Yeah, and also if they happen to be in the shoe or, you know, in ADSEG, they call it administrative segregation, then they can't have visitors, and so that limits them. And some of the men that we see are in, under those circumstances. So, yes, though, they can. They'll also revoke visiting privileges just for behavioral issues. Yeah. I'm just curious about how big of a group do you have? Good question. I can. Um, over the years, it's really changed a lot. I remember when I first started going in, we had 20-something. Sometimes, you know, the group almost felt too big. Um, and we'd remark it when there was like 12 people, how intimate it felt. And now sometimes it's, you know, one or two people, four or five people. Um, and we have seen that change a lot even more frequently recently because of some um, policy changes in the actual prisons where they've been integrating the sensitive needs yards, um, which are again are the people who are kept um, separately for their own protection with the, the mainline yards. And so there's been a lot more violence and people are actually afraid to go to groups. And do they have to kind of earn the, the privilege of, of going to this group? No. For, for religious groups, this is considered a religious group, supposedly anybody can go to any group. It doesn't really seem to work out that way, but that is their right. The only thing that is more important than that is if there's a safety issue, and then nothing can not, no programs will run if there's some kind of safety issue. And are they still shackled? No, no, no. That was for about eight months. That was a long time. That was unique. And then all of a sudden... Except didn't... you're saying you think the numbers have dropped because the men are not feeling safe. So well, there are a lot of reasons, actually. Yeah, you want to, yeah I could say... Or, go no, ahead. No. Um, yeah, th I think that's one of them, what Ayla said. That's probably maybe the biggest one. The other one is that and this is actually a positive thing, and that is that there, when we first started, 
other than religious programs and a few things. There were a few. There was a creative writing program. There may have, and there's also always NA and AA. Uh, but other than that, there really weren't much in the way of self-help programs. And uh, now I think the prison is realizing that some of the self-help programs like uh, Vogue that Nancy's working in and Grip uh, that Ayla's working in are highly effective. should say and what they are. There are and, pardon me? Pardon? Say what they are, oh. the programs. Victim Offender Education Group. Um, uh, GRIP is Guiding Rage into Power, which is an emotional intelligence, violence prevention, and mindfulness program. So, um, um, because, uh, so when men engage in these kinds of programs, and there are many, many, many others at our prison, which is great, they get points for that and they get time off of their sentence. But we're, uh, even though we're not an official religion, in the, according to the state of California, uh, so we are actually volunteer chaplains. We're not chaplains. Um, we they don't get these points for coming to our services because religious programs don't don't get those points. And of course, we've said, well, you know, you're giving it to mindfulness programs, and where do you think mindfulness came from? And 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 our our coordinator understands that, but she said, you know, it's just the way it is. I must say, on the on the positive. So anyway, it's it's that we're not getting the points. That there's a lot of mayhem in the prison right now, um, and a lot of alternatives that offer benefits that that the guys can go to. Um, um, this year has been a particularly violent year already. I think we've had four homicides at SVSP last week. We called before we leave. Um, the yards were up. By the time we got there, there had been a stabbing and one of the yards was down. Um, so there's just a lot going on. And like Jill said earlier, we don't know anything. Like. We speculate, we talk in the car about why we think the numbers are low, and then we remind ourselves <laughs> we don't know anything. And there are other factors, like in the past, a, a Protestant chaplain who will tell the people that attend his programs, kind of discourage them from, from attending Buddhist services. Some of the gangs do, don't allow their gang members to attend religious services because they're supposed to be hard, not soft. And so there's a lot of things that happen. COs have been known to mm -hmm. also tell them, you know, you, you're so hard. You, see, you think you, you're so hard. This is supposed to be a hard yard. What are you doing going to these programs? So there they, are a lot of factors. They don't let them out of their cells sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we just don't know. We, know. we know that's true. Yeah. If, you know, a CO will choose not to let people out. So, anything else? If not, I can tell you the story about the shackles, but, but I'd rather hear your questions. I, I just have a question. When you, when you go, are all five of you in the same group, or are you hosting different groups at the same time? Yes. <laughs> we split up, but sometimes, like last week, we had enough of us there to run programs in three yards, three different yards. Only one of them, by between the time we called in the morning and the time we got there, had, had a stabbing. So we split up, and and then we were two and two. So sometimes we're alone. And yeah, sometimes we're alone. Okay. Yeah. Every now and then, everybody who comes in together, we're in the same yard. It's really nice. It really is. Rare. Yeah. yeah. It is rare. Yeah. Yes. 
There are 34 state prisons in California and 11 federal detention centers. Um, thank you for doing this work in Salinas Valley. Do you know of other groups in California that are providing these services, or is this yes, a, yes. a unique occurrence? Would you like to talk about it? Yeah, I'm on the board of um, Buddhist Pathways Prison Project, and I'm embarrassed right now that I can't tell you how many prisons we're in. I don't know. Pretty much all But a lot, a whole yeah. lot, yeah. Um, all over the state. Prison. State, from state the, prisons. Uh, the, all state, non-federal. <coughs> some <coughs> jails. Uh, and prisons all the way south and all the way north. Steve. Um, you were talking about the penal officers uh, participating. Um, and I assume that's in a separate group. Um, no, or we don't do a group with uh, the we officers. No. Oh, we don't. We've no. talked about it. Though. We have. As yeah, a matter of fact, I, <laughs> go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I was just going to say. Um, um, being, I see them as either becoming very brutal, which is generally the case, or they, uh, I mean, based on my reading anyway, uh, it, it's a brutalizing job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is true. But then there are some who are, uh, you know, being compromised. Uh, from a from their moral and ethical point of view, if they're not doing it, they're seeing it around them mm -hmm. being done. Um, and I guess mis I misunderstood. I, I I thought there was some sort of a, um, program for them, or something. it would be really great. And we thought of that many many years ago. We actually did mindfulness-based stress reduction with Bob right. and also did the teacher training for it with the intention of offering it to the officers yeah. and it would have to be a reconfigured you know way of teaching and we tried and we were told that we could do one day with the men with the officers they would offer us within their training that they would give us a day and it would be voluntary so that was the extent to which we could do it at that time in those circumstances we were advised to take it out of the prison and offer it at a community center which isn't what we had in mind and also there's a lot to say about what happens I mean it's it's so far being able to let down and to be able to um, have a level of vulnerability that that would take is very far away from what's required in their job. Mm. You're very right that it is brutalizing. Everybody is not brutal. There really are some really good mm -hmm. correctional officers, really good, and um, from the lowest to the highest level. But that doesn't mean that they're ready to not be. It's very militaristic, very, very. Jill, I remember when yeah. we were doing a training together at the prison, and um, you you all offered to a, a very tough guy, CO, to do this kind of training because you said, I, I know that your work is very stressful. And he drew himself up and said, I don't get stressed, I get angry. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, never mind. <laughs> 
ความ one one thing on a positive note just just uh, since we have been going in a long enough time to get some perspective on uh, the prison and their um, just the general messages that we get when we first came in um, 17 18 years ago uh, we were viewed with a lot of suspicion um, the, you know the fact that we were not a religion that they were necessarily familiar with this is from the COs and the administration uh, there was a big question as to you know what we were all about and we were really not supported well at all and over the years um, we have because they see we keep coming back and because there's been some shift really in trying to do more of the R CDCR rehabilitation and they see that what we're doing is the R and they're not doing much of it that um, we've been treated a lot differently and the community resources people that we've had the last two have been really gems and they've been very very supportive of us and we feel like we have a real ally we um, the the uh, the last warden we actually knew when he was a sergeant and he worked his way all the way up and he uh, his his daughter was a yoga teacher and he was a meditator so um, that gives you a sense that you know there is the potential for change we don't really know the current um, warden who is female um, I don't know much about her but we, we intend to meet her and and get to know her as well so there has been some change that's you know that's positive and the fact that we have all these programs that mm -hmm. like Ayla and Nancy are part of is really wonderful I mean it really gives the chance for the men to really make a change so maybe I'll end it with just a brief story about the shackles because it's a good story so we were told that uh, in this yard sea yard which is a sort of a brutal yard where the one Jill described where the gangs are at each other there are enemies and it's very it's unstable that there was a group that wanted to have a, some Buddhist teachings and we were told that it was an Asian primarily Asian group and uh, so I happened we I think Jill and I, at that point Jill and I I think were the only ones going in and and uh, I saw so Jill went to a different yard I went to the first uh, meeting with these guys and uh, I see him walking in with you know the the waist uh, chain and the shackled hands and I thought oh well you know they're keeping them safe once we get into the chapel they'll take the take it off and so as the men are coming in I'm hearing words exchanged between the COs and the men and it's not nice it's just a lot of nasty stuff going back and forth and I'm hearing the men really unhappy about coming in in shackles these guys were mostly Cambodian. There were a couple of Vietnamese. There was a Chinese man, mostly Cambodian. Uh, there was one Filipino man, I believe, as well. And so they came in. And so, I mean, I could, I was, you know, I could feel my anxiety level. I was working with that myself. And so then uh, we all sat down. They're, they're in shackles, and they're, you know, you could tell there was a lot of tension. I said, well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm. I'm feeling stressed by this whole thing. I can really feel, you know, uh, the impact of what just happened here, and the fact that you guys are being brought into this uh, service, uh, which they call it, um, in shackles, and you have to stay in shackles. So I said, I guess we have it. We're faced with a choice here. You know, do we just decide to give this up because it's just too difficult, too painful, and so you go back, and that's it, and we go back and go to the other yards, or do we just learn to 
feel what it's like to be in shackles mm. and do we you know give this thing a try and see and make it work and so we went around person by person and every one of them said let's do it let's mm. do it and they were a tight and wonderful wonderful group i mean they were a lot of them had been even though they didn't have buddhist practices their parents had been buddhist or their uncles or grandparents had been buddhist and so they they had a sense of sort of what this was going to be all about and um so it went from there and they're all gone none there's let's say one mao but he, mao and mac mao they're, they're uh, oh max in a different yard yeah. but i think there's one guy of those maybe 15 16 17 guys that's left on that yard and that's what's so challenging for us mm -hmm. just when we get a group and we get some senior guys and they're really they they're models for the younger guys they're gone, and, and we're happy they're gone because usually they're moving to a, a lower security uh, prison. And it's a challenge for the men, too, yeah. yes, because you, most of them, you know, have abandonment issues. And uh, when they have the first kind of real close relationships they have are with some of the other men or women, uh, and in a moment's notice, they can just be gone forever. And that happens to them all the time. Yeah, thanks. So we're going to close. Um, Vicki, maybe you could close us. And just to say that um, if you're interested in learning more about a pen pal or signing up, maybe you can meet over in this area with <coughs> Jan. And Carol, are you here? Oh, are you going to need to be in the back? What would you? Do you want to be, uh, be with the pen pal? people too. Sure, I can help there or with Donna. Oh, okay. Yeah, we need that too, don't we? Sure. Would you like to make an announcement, please? I'd love to. Thank you. I forgot. Oh, gosh. Um, my name's Carol, and I'm a volunteer here at Insight Santa Cruz. And um, I came because I was curious, and um, I heard stories that just really touched my heart. I can see all your hearts just beating and and um, open and I thank you for your noble and courageous work and for sharing it with us tonight and thank you for coming and your curiosity and your hearts for being here too. My job is to let you know how Insight Santa Cruz works and that is on the economy of gifts. We are run completely by volunteers, and the teachers offer the teachings um, freely. So if your heart was touched, and if you're able to, you're invited to offer a donation that the teachers want to um, give to the prison project mm -hmm. expenses, and that would go in the teacher Donna basket or um, donation basket in the back of the room. Um, and there's also a basket called community, and that would go to the expenses of running uh, this building, this beautiful um, meditation hall. So um, thank you all for being here. And um, I, I'll be at the Donna table. Uh, checks are to be made out to ISC, and we even have a chip reader that I can help you use. Okay.
Thank you, Carol. Thanks, thanks, Carol. Might mention also that Carol is uh, has a very important job, and that is that uh, if uh, when when we communicate by letter mm -hmm. for pen pals, uh, Carol is the one that receives the letters from the PO box and then redirects them to the pen pal. And uh, I just like to yeah. also say that some of the letters were delivered here so that we could pick them up. Wednesday night and we forgot so Carol our angel deliverer picked them up and took them and and uh, read them to me over the phone and then <laughs> some people read them here so she saved us tonight too in a few different ways thank you so we're gonna close with sending out some goodness in two ways one is from our hearts and the other is with pen and paper so um, I just want to do a little bit of a closing, and then if you would like to write a note, there's some pen and, pens and paper here that you can write a note, and when we're going in, we'll start sharing these over the next few weeks with our group. So just take a moment to close your eyes. <sighs> Maybe take a breath. There's a lot to take in. Goodness and compassion and kindness, love. And also some heartache and pain and suffering. Just allowing ourselves to take all of that in and <coughs> to consider any goodness that might have come from being here tonight, from the stories we shared, from things that came up in your own heart, from the words of these people living behind bars. Just take in that goodness and soak it up. Feel that in your heart. And then sending that out in every direction to people incarcerated around the world to their friends and their family, their children, to those who are now free citizens and making that very difficult transition from a life behind bars to a life of accountability on the streets, and to all who work in prisons, volunteer and serve, Sending out all this goodness in every direction with the wish that every living being may be happy. That every being, ourselves included, may be at peace. That all beings may feel safe. And that we all live this precious life with joy, with ease, and well-being. May we all be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.